Harrison Price for Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Check out the apron. It's at the Weston Wall Center YVR Eat Locally. Fresh, eat well. Matt Sakaris alongside Blake Price. Grace Ass hitting switches, conducting things. Big show coming up, including the Bodog poll question. Which defenseman should the Canucks target in a trade? You can vote for Samuel Gerrard. Noah Hannafin, Colton Pareko, Brett Pesci. At Sikarison Price on Twitter, Bodog your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Some cool off-season NHL props on the hockey special section of Bodog. Where will Ryan O'Reilly play the first game of this coming season? And there's some uh, reported interest from the Canucks on Riley. Colorado, his first team is actually the favorite. Go all the way back to Colorado at plus 135. The Canucks are the underdog on this tab. Mm. Plus 500. Isn't that worth a nickel or two on your Bodog line of the day? All right. Answer me the poll. Well, first of all, you just you just, you just teased Friedman and O'Reilly. Okay. You want to go there? We can go there. The suggestion is that the Vancouver Canucks would think about signing mm-hmm. Ryan O'Reilly. Free agent Ryan O'Reilly, Stanley Cup winner with the St. Louis Blues. 32 years old, a left shot centerman, 6'1", 207. He was 55.8% in the face-off dot last year. He also made a decent amount of money, didn't he? Yeah, and that's going to be uh, the question here. Now, Daily Faceoff has a board put together with the help of AFP Analytics projecting contracts. O'Reilly projects as a three-year deal at $5.5 million. I would suspect that all of these numbers are probably going to wind up being a little light because of yeah. the uh, weakness of the free agent class. But that's uh, that's roughly your what you're looking at. Yeah. So that's most of the OEL cap savings. So I'm not sure that gets you that's the, thing. the defenseman, the top four defensemen as well. We, we've already asked the question in a couple different ways at a couple different times. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's, what do you want? What should be the Canucks priority? We've talked to the mm-hmm. listeners about this. What Which, do you think the Canucks' priority is? is? Is it center or is it defense? I think it's... I mean, it's both. They wanted to address both. But what, where, do, where do they get the third, better player? I think it was third-line center until they made the decision to move on OEL. Now I think it's defense. Yeah. Especially given the, the Ethan Bear injury as well. Because now you have a player who you were hoping might step into one of those roles, no longer there. And you have a player who is injured and isn't going to be available to you for the first month or two of the season who was a candidate to be your um, second-pair right-side defenseman, so also in the top four. Yeah. So I would think it's defense now. And it's funny because we asked last month or so, what's the Canucks' biggest need? And third-line center won, and third-line center won by a fair margin. Um, We asked on yesterday's Bodog poll question, uh, what's the Canucks' How did we phrase it, Grady? I don't have it in front of me here. Oh, yes. How do you want the Canucks to spend their newfound cap space? And top four defensemen got 88% of the vote on 1,500-plus votes. So I think the market has absolutely turned and arrived at the conclusion that without OEL and with Ethan Bear injured, 
They should absolutely spend that money on the defense. Some, like Nazi, say save it. Mike says the only case for a third-line center which would usurp the need for a top defenseman is a right-handed penalty-killing ace who is traded for and signed to a multi-year modest cap hit. He says the defense is shambolic and Hughes can't play 28-plus minutes a night. Yeah. I mean, no yeah, one's all de- fair. No one's denying that there's multiple holes to be filled, but w- mm-hmm. which one do you address with the better player? And I think it has to be defense. Well, look, as I mentioned yesterday in voting for a defenseman, the top four defenseman is going to play more than the third-line center and affect the proceedings on the ice to a greater degree. Yeah. Now, a third-line center is a very important position if you think you're a cup contender. But if you're just hoping to sneak into the playoffs, don't get me wrong. Still want that third-line center. Still need a right-handed center in this organization. And as Mike points out, certainly need a penalty killer. Yeah. Other names we're hearing here, Evan Rodriguez, and we know the Canucks have had interest in him in the past. It's a 29-year-old right-handed center, 5'11", 184. Came in just under 50% in the face-off dot last year. And then an interesting case in Michael McLeod, a 25-year-old right-handed restricted free agent centerman, 6'2", 188. Very defensive or very just uh, 20, non-offensive, yeah, I guess. 26 points and four goals yeah. in 80 games last year, but finished second to Patrice Bergeron in face-off percentage across the league uh, with a minimum number of attempts on 60.6% of his face-offs last year. Yeah, now there's a a bit of a yellow flag there at the very least with McLeod because he's a member of that 2018 World Junior team. Um, And is under investigation. We've already seen one NHL team walk away from... Alex Formanton. Formanton coming off an 18-goal season. Yep. And one of the best skaters in the world. And the Senators were like, I'm not going to touch you right now. Yeah. So is Mike McLeod going to undergo... A similar process mm-hmm. here. Um, no news on the qualifying offer for him yet from the Devils uh, and all that. So we'll see where that one goes. But he's, I mean, I suppose you could acquire and send him and, and, and re-sign him to a, long, uh, a longer-term deal. Yeah. But he would be quite affordable if you're just buying him and on the qualifying offer. I mean, he's just a million. A million, for sure. Just over a yes. million dollars. Yeah, as long as you're comfortable with the mm-hmm. off-ice Proceedings, right, and and as long as you're also comfortable knowing that if you're acquiring acquiring him and just going on the qualifying offer this year, that's fine. But uh, then you're just inching him towards unrestricted free agency here. Yeah. So, and I get into this a little bit more in in welcome mat today. I voted for Samuel Gerard on today's poll question, and here's why. He's the youngest of the four we listed at 25. He can play both the right and the left side. He's a Stanley Cup champion, of course, with the Avalanche from last year. And he's on a fair contract. It's $5 million for the next four years. Problem with some of these other guys, Pesci's one year away from unrestricted free agency. Now, he's a superb defender. He'll be 29 in November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a superb defender on a very fair ticket at just over $4 million for this year. But if you're acquiring Brett Pesci, I think you have to make an effort to re-sign him. 
and I th- suspect that'll be expensive. Mm-hmm. He's a right shot defenseman, less than thirty. Hannafin, similarly, one year left, four point nine five. Now he's only twenty six, but you're gonna. Qu- First of all, there's the Calgary Flames complication. There are the Calgary Flames going to want to play ball in division with the. Uh, it's a big complication with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, uh, and then secondly, yeah. I mean, he's UFA after this year, so you would almost have an instant decision on Hannafin. We should also uh, clarify that Hannafin has a eight-team no-trade trade list, so it's conceivable that Vancouver is on that. I wouldn't think so, but it's conceivable that he could block a trade. Um, Gerard is uh, free and clear of any kind of trade protection. Boy, Colton Pareko was one of my favorite players in the league not long ago. And a big reason why the St. Louis Blues won a Stanley Cup a few years back. The problem with Pareko, first of all, he's got a no-trade clause. Um, although it hasn't kicked in just yet. So he's free and clear for now. But there's a no Did no-trade clauses later in the deal stick with the player if they're traded? Yeah, early? yeah okay. Yeah. So he's got a no-trade clause in 2028, and here's the problem with that. He'll be a 34-, 35-year-old defenseman who still has two years of term left. He has got a whopper contract that goes through 29-the-2030 season at $6.5 million. Huge guy, big shot, big everything with Colton Pareko. And then lastly, um, oh, no, we ran through them all. I, uh, and Pesci and- I like all the players. I'd have all so the players I. on my team. Um, and if I could change the Pesci and Hannafin situations, <laughs> the one years left, the, in the right. Hannafin case, the Calgary thing, I would be way more inclined. Mm-hmm. But the the most probable situation is Sam Gerrard. Who he, may come at the highest trade cost because of the term left uh, and age combination. He does right? have a no trade that kicks in uh, a year from now as well. Ah. Uh, modified. Okay. Um, but he's got four years of hockey mm-hmm. on his contract. Right. He's smaller, um, which is my least favorite part about this whole thing. Yeah, he's the smallest of the lot. Um, not micro, but he's smaller. He's 5'10 listed, which often means 5'9". <laughs> um, they stretch for the... And that's where it maybe goes against probability for the Canucks because mm-hmm. they're probably going to be more tantalized by the other guys. But I just, I, I just don't know that the extraction of the other threes is, is as probable as yeah. it is with Sam Gerrard. Yeah, I, and I would almost say I, I wonder whether Gerrard would be the hardest to extract. Um, because he's, he's easy and nice to hold on to. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's... Uh, Top four defense, but on a team with Stanley Cup aspiration. Now, granted, he was hurt in their cup year. They didn't, lean, they didn't need to lean on him as much as they leaned on, of course, Kale McCarr and then the former Vancouver Giant Bowen Byram stepping up there. But I, I think he might be the most expensive in trade cost. I think Pareko comes a little cheaper on trade cost just because of the term and the money you're inheriting on the guy. And then in Hannafin and Pesci's case, both those teams that are peddling have to be aware that the acquiring team is basically looking at a one-year proposition here unless they extend and the extension of course will be quite rich and i suspect 
acquiring teams will want to factor that into the acquisition cost with Carolina and Calgary. Colorado can start renegotiating with uh, Devon Taves on July 1st. Mm -hmm. They have to decide what their plan is for him, 29-year-old player Mm -hmm. who's been underpaid for his entire career and will probably want to finally get a decent raise. Yep. You know, he'll want something with at least a six, if not a seven in front of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, trading away a Gerard helps to mm-hmm. helps to uh, finance that. So going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, the, the other thing, uh, and as you'll hear Darren Dreger say later in the show, on Pesci, Carolina is staring down the barrel right now of having five NHL defensemen under contract for next year. A uh, couple of those guys, in fact, three of them, Pesci, Shea, and our old friend Jalen Chatfield, all stand, to, all stand to be UFAs after next season. And then Slavin and Burns are, are unrestricted free agents two years thereafter. So they have some thinking and plotting to do with that defense score in the here and now and over the next couple of seasons for, again, another team that is a Stanley Cup contender here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not talking about a team that's in retool with a new general manager like the Calgary Flames or, or the St. Louis Blues. We're talking a team that has big aspirations next season and in the next few years as they try and take advantage of their cap window. Signing, so. Signings are starting to uh, trickle in for these UFA to Bs and RFAs. So Adam Gaudet gets signed by the St. Louis Blues. Really? He stays in the league at 775. Uh, one way deal? Do you get a one way deal? Uh, one way. We don't have that detail okay. yet. Uh, Zemgus Gergensen stays in Buffalo for 2.5 a year. I'm of the belief that Zem, uh What's his name? Zemgus? Yeah. Gergensen's will never leave Buffalo. <laughs> he seems if, to be happy if, there. If, if if you were there for the shit that he's gone through over his NHL career, you're you're in it. You're ride or die with the Buffalo Sabers. He goes back to 2013-14 with Buffalo Blake. Yeah, and was a 70 game guy that year too. And he's sort of been consistently knocked down the lineup there as they've added better and better players. Sean Monahan staying in Montreal is interesting because mm-hmm. that he he might have been able to get more out there. He might it's have possible been more I mean, than the one point nine that he's getting. He's a right-handed centerman, Monahan, or a no, lefty? Left. Lefty, lefty yeah. okay. Uh, and then Matthew Olivier just resigned in Columbus as well for a million year, I believe. Sikisa, pardon, Sikisa, who's that? Matthew Olivier. Oh, I'm not even sure I know that. He's player. a Fourth line winger, ah, five goals, ten assists, and sixty-six games last year ah, for the okay. Blue Jackets. Yeah, uh, ah, okay. <laughs> and he's American, born in Biloxi, Mississippi. That's got to be a first for the NHL. I'm guessing huh? Dad played in the ECHL. Yeah, potentially. Okay, <laughs> so, I really threw you off with the Matthew Olivier side. Well, just because uh, I, I I know the across my Blue Jack- I know the Blue Jackets have some. Uh, Players with French names. I thought for a second you might have been missing a name or, or getting the name wrong there. So forgive me. Never heard of them. <laughs> uh, the BC Lions are in Winnipeg tomorrow to face the Blue Bombers, the opening game of week three of the Canadian Football League. And we've got some bad news from Lions camp here today. Dominic Rimes is out with a foot injury. 
Now, Lucky Whitehead is back, so he will replace Rhymes. And so this Dosai Doe game they're playing with the receiving core that we've talked about, Blake, over the last couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. frankly, going back to last year, continues. Hoping to get everybody healthy at the same time. Of course, Keon Hatcher is still on the six game list. Rhymes, just two weeks in the league, uh, two weeks into the season, leads the league with three touchdown catches. He's tied for third in catches, he's third in receiving yards. I would suspect that there's a little bit of the long game being played here with Rhymes as well. It's a foot injury. Much like holding Lucky out of the game last week. The next game, Blake, you don't play again until the following Monday. So you got an awful long week here before you're in Toronto to face the Argos on July 3rd. And Rhymes is going to have a lot of time to heal up for that. So I would suspect Rhymes or Hatcher, somebody comes back for that game and the BC Lions are playing a bit of a long game there uh, with their fine receivers because, as we've talked about, Rhymes is one of the best in the league right now. Uh, just getting back on hockey for a second, we do know the cap is at $83.5 million. The Canucks will play, play 850000 short of that because of Andre Kuzmenko's bonuses, and, of course, now there'll be a $150,000 dead cap charge on on Oliver ekman Larson for this upcoming year. Uh, word from our buddy Ricky Dollywall, they're unlikely to qualify Travis Dermott, which I suppose is not that big a surprise given that the young man had a concussion last year and basically didn't play all that much. He was an interesting acquisition when they got him from the Leafs for that third round pick that they wound up getting uh, from Ottawa for... Um, Hamannick. Travis Hamannick, thank you. Grady. Uh, and a guy who could play both sides as well, left shot who could play the right sides. But if it hasn't worked out here, I can understand why the Canucks are moving on there if you can't trust the player to be healthy. And then there have been some uh, changes at Rogers Arena. Yeah. Well, this is going to be great. Oh, Rob Williams for tomorrow's is very Williams excited hit. for tomorrow. They are, him and PJ are currently having a uh, Twitter battle on who's uh, reporting on it first. Oh, oh wow. okay. Wow. All right. Let's well, they're both the, our guys. Let's hope cooler heads prevail. We don't have a horse in the race here. We're just hoping that both reporters had fun. Uh, and we're being dragged into it now, too. Oh, the, no. There is no... This is the best way to report on this. Vancouver is not home to a single... State of the art center ice scoreboard right now. One does not exist. The Coliseum oh. has sold its and it's gone, uh-huh. removed. Rogers Arena right now is scoreboardless. Yeah. So, um, yes, they are getting a much needed one. Uh, in the last couple of years, there's been multiple glitches where you haven't been able to see the score, see shots see anything really the, on the that time scoreboard. clock has been off yeah it's uh pixels have been missing it's uh it's been pretty low rent um so uh one has been badly needed mm-hmm. uh we've had some intel that they've been flying um there's certain person around the world looking for the best options for uh for this oh do we have that intel yes okay. um and uh yeah, let's let's just say that the budget has been a, a part of it. It hasn't exactly been a go out and get the brightest and best. Unlike BC Place, which went out and got the brightest and best mm-hmm. when it was re, uh, reconfigured and renovated. Here's the problem, Blake. The scoreboard is not a revenue generator. Yeah. It's a straight expense. Yeah. 
I mean, I suppose you could say it's a revenue generator. It's a follow-through on, you, on your you, sales. Yeah, your sponsors yeah. get exposure there. Yeah, and you can sell the bottom as it has been sold before. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, that's a really expensive piece of equipment that doesn't generate revenue on an ongoing basis, much like a press box. Yeah. It was uh, there since 2006, this one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. lot, lots of technology changes from 2006 sure. to sure. today. So it was, ve- you know, very much. Well, I look forward to what they're adding here. It's high time. Yeah. And as I've mentioned many, many times, I sure hope they continue with the replacing of the seats. Jeff Stipek, former Canucks executive, told us years ago there were plans afoot to replace the seats. I guess he lost that argument. Well, there are still seats being replaced for that new VIP section. Mm-hmm. Um, and the photo that is making the rounds um, from Roger Inch suggests that it looks about two-thirds done. Mm-hmm. There's no seats in the one-third that isn't done. So I guess they intend on really hammering that out yeah. and, and finishing because there's no seats left there. So The other thing I'm interested in because, boy, this seems like a great summer for concerts. There's a ton of shows coming to town that I would like to see. Everybody's touring. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, everybody, yeah. of course, couldn't tour for a couple of years, so now they're, they're making it up in spades, and everyone's going everywhere except your girl T-Swizzle isn't coming to Canada. Um, How are some of these shows going to go off without the seats? I guess they'll just... No, the see, I mean, I don't think it takes too long. It's a few bolts. Okay. We're talking days here. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm, hey... There has been enough that's gone wrong with the facility in the past, including at the UFC event mm-hmm. a week from Saturday, that I feel inclined to ask the question, Blake. Well, the, the worry would be for me that the mice uh, use the current empty holes as, as uh, nests and crawl into those uh, yeah. holes. So. Like, for example, Blink-182 is there Tuesday. Tuesday. So that's a week. Mm-hmm. Just under. Yeah, I think they can get that done. Whitecaps in Colorado tonight to face... Uh, well, coming off their MLS bye week, mm-hmm. facing the Rapids, as we talked about yesterday, a bottom feeder in the MLS West. This is one you have to have. Have been dreadful away from BC Place this year. Here it is on a silver platter, Whitecaps. Yeah, in the international window, so there's uh, it's not all hands on deck. Um, Who's missing for Vancouver? Vite? Uh, Vite is missing. He'll be back for the second road match uh, this weekend. Uh, Ahmed will play oh, good. and then leave to join Canada. At the Gold Cup, where we now know they'll face Guadeloupe Yes, on Tuesday at BMO Field. This is a no-FIFA points awarded match because Guadeloupe is a non-FIFA member. You'll have to explain that to me. Yeah, they're just an at-large barnstorming group, basically. Canada also going to face Cuba and Guatemala. Better Gua, Tamala or Deloop? Mm, Tamala. They are uh, they're they're a better team and they are FIFA. Oh, I, I didn't yeah. mean team. I just oh. meant destination. Mm, haven't been to either. Well, Deloop is in might, the Caribbean. Might be it more looks, tropical. Yeah, yeah, I think Deloop yeah. has the beaches and yeah. Uh, and no Julian Gressel, no Javane Brown. Oh wow! Uh, also Gold Cup related, right? So um, Gressel with. USA and Brown with Jamaica. Yeah. Well, that's actually more extensive than I thought. Yeah. It's uh, not to be ignored. That's not to be ignored. Gosh, that's missing. uh, Who is it? 
Brown, Vite, Gressel, and... That's it for this match. Oh, sorry, and Tybert is injured. Okay. So that's three key pieces missing on international duty. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's some uh, accommodations to be made there, that's for sure. Canada should get through this Gold group, uh, gold Cup group no problem, right? Cuba, Guatemala, yeah. Guadalupe? Yeah. Yeah, that's not an issue. The big issue. Uh, you know, you just want to make sure you maximize your points so that you get a more profitable uh, right. uh, quarterfinal. But yeah, they'll be just fine. The Vancouver Canadians are in Eugene. Pitcher Abdiel Mendoza was named Northwest League Pitcher of the Week. If that sounds like a repeat, it is the sixth time a Canadians pitcher has won this award, and five different pitchers have gotten that honor. Needless to say, they have been excellent on the bump this year, and Mendoza is the latest to take a bow. Let's get to today's golf report brought to you by the Arnold Palmer Design Whistler Golf Club. If you've got a group of 12 or more, you, the organizer, plays for free. Sales team going to execute a fantastic golf experience for your group, whether it's clients or buddies. Tell us about your group, Whistler Golf Club. Oh, sorry, whistlergolf.com forward slash groups. And our contest to win a round for four, including two carts. This is an $800 value. It's good this season. Monday through Thursday play up at the Whistler Golf Club is going on right now on Secure Some Price on Instagram. you got to follow us. you got to follow the Whistler Golf Club, and you got to tag three friends that you would bring bring up to play. And, you know, Blake and I have played there many times with Alan Chris Manson, the two-sports star who runs the Whistler Golf Club, former member of our national basketball team, and it's just amazing views and vistas and the tranquility of Whistler right there in the village, a challenging golf course, beautifully kept. I've yet to score well on that golf course. It's got my number. Same but here. it's always a fantastic experience, and, of course, designed by none other than King, Arnold Palmer. What you got on Golf Report here? Well, right? just a lot of little tidbits. Uh, first of all, a reminder that the uh, Women's PGA Championship mm-hmm. starts tomorrow. At Baltusrol. Yeah. Eminently fair. Brooke Henderson looking for her third career this, major. This is the one she's won twice. And oh, sorry. No, she no. won the Evian and yes. she won the K- the LPGA at Sahali yes. years ago. Yeah. Um. So uh, looking forward to seeing if she can get her uh, year on on target. The men are at the Travelers, which um, to me used to have sort of the John Deere classic sort of uh, mystique to it, but it's now an elevated event. And everybody who's anybody is playing. And for, uh, you know, it was a decent Canadian Open um, field this year, two weeks ago. For a lot of these players, this is three straight weeks that they're playing at all corners of the of the map here. That's Upper East, down to L.A., back to the Upper East. Um, that's a lot to ask. You know who's not going to be playing, though, this week? The guy who started the winning two weeks ago, Nick Taylor. He's too exhausted. He, he's just... He, well, absolutely. Like, everybody else is, is going to be there. It's an opportunity to make a lot of dough at a, an elevated event with a ton of money up for grabs. But <laughs> he's won his money this year, and he's just saying, I need to recharge and... Uh, and take a breath here. So he is scheduled now to uh, take part in all elevated events next year and all four majors. This will be the first time in his career he is, you know, 
completely qualified for everything. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have to worry about that. He's going to take a breath here, and Nick Taylor will miss the Travelers Championship. I also noticed, um, this from Golf Digest, we're talking about bifurcation and, and, and slowing down the golf ball, mm-hmm. taking some of the distance out of the tour ball, not the amateur's ball, but the ball that's going to be used for professionals going forward. PGA Tour average carry. Now, this is average. This isn't Rory or Brooks. I guess he doesn't count. He's not on the PGA Tour. But this isn't Rory or you know, Rom, the big hitters. Mm-hmm. Average carry. What do you think the average carry of a pitching wedge is oh. on the PGA Tour? Pitch, pitching I'll, I'll, I'll wedge. give you a draw. The average carry of a driver now on the PGA Tour? 270. 281. Okay. And of course, the big hitters will be over three hundred. Yeah. Carry, carry. That that's yeah. not bounce roll. Where does it wind uh, up? That is carry. I don't know that the big hitters are flying at three hundred. I I don't know about that. Um, but average carry of a pitching wedge. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go one seventy. Carry of yeah. a pitching wedge? Yeah. Are you crazy? No. No. One forty one. Average carry of a pitching wedge, wedge 141, a 9-iron 153, an 8-164, a 7-iron 177. That's carry. Yeah. But they don't have much roll. I just well, think, yeah. yeah, a pitching wedge more often than not, yeah. they're looking to stop it pretty soon thereafter. That's average carry, though, too. Yeah. yeah. See, the, you like, know. they carry their three irons 217 yards. Carry them. So they hit three irons effectively the distance that PGA Tour players hit driver 30 years ago. Yeah. This was absolutely the right decision Mm -hmm. to roll back the ball. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by De Dutch, De Dutch BC's best breakfast. When you think breakfast in British Columbia, you think De Dutch. Hey, the summer is here. It's the best time of year for breakfast to linger, right? Brunch. And here's the thing. If you're a lazy bones like Grady and you're getting up at, say, 1, 2 p.m. in the afternoon on a Saturday looking for a full breakfast in the middle to late afternoon, De Dutch does that too. Fair. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. I miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. Get to hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including uh, 29 years from what should have been a springboard for the NHL. Also a big victory out at Langley last night. Darren Dreger will join us. We go through the process that brought them to an Oliver Ekman Larson Buy out dregs with some tidbits about what the Canucks are looking for on the free agent market. And uh, also a little discussion there on JT Miller and whether he's still, there's still possibility of a JT Miller trade as well as something uh, on Ethan Bear. Then to the people we go. We do this on Wednesdays. Whether it's a hot take, a tell me I'm wrong, or just a comment on a segment you've heard here, a social media post. You can text 778-402-9680 to the Great Clips text message inbox. Email live at scaresomeprice.com. Tweet at scaresomeprice.
Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits and the Penticton V season well underway. Means it's time to visit the Neighborhood Watch. It's a vendor experience at the South Okanagan Event Center. Enjoy your favorite neighborhood beers while attending any event or a Penticton V's game. And Blake and I have been there several times. Fantastic vantage point. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. The good news for the Vancouver Canucks is that a weak free agent crop of defensemen is offset by a strong class of defensemen available via trade. Our Bodog poll question today lists Samuel Gerard, Noah Hannafin, Colton Pareko, Brett Pesci, but you could you could put many other names on that list from the highest end guys like Eric Carlson to lesser known names like Andrew Peak, a right shot defensive defenseman in Columbus, and many names in between. Justin Falk, Matt Grizzlick, Derek Forbert, Travis Sanheim, Joel Edmondson, Cody Ceci. So a lack of available defensemen is not the problem, and now the Canucks have to decide who to target and how much of their $7.1 million in newfound cap space to allocate on a top-four defenseman. As TSN's Aaron Dreger tells us, they'd also like to add a third-line center and a big winger, so the off-season dance is now coming to light. How do you improve the club's two weakest positions, top-four defense, third-line center, while still having enough left over to add some size on the wing? And here's the thing. Third-line center may well be prove more difficult to fill. The trade candidates there, Scott Lawton, Michael McLeod, Adam Henrique, Barkley Goodrow, they're all imperfect. In the free agent class, JT Confer, Ryan O'Reilly, Evan Rodriguez, David Camp may well get bid up given the scarcity on the free agent market. The big winger should be the third priority and address once the spend on the other two positions is known. That's mid-July shopping. But the other spots, Blake, they could well be filled in the next 10 days. Huh? Yeah, could be. It's, it's asking a lot, but yeah. the, the possibility is there. There's going to be some business conducted, for right. sure. Whether that's a trade at the draft and a free agent signing on July 1st, or vice versa. I suppose not vice versa. Two free agent signings, or two trades in and around the draft? I, I think... By certainly no later than July the 4th, mm-hmm. we'll have a pretty good idea yeah. what the roster looks like. Do you agree with me? Third line, they're the big winger, whether it's a third or fourth liner, is the third priority here. Get your business done on these two needs and then see what's left over? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they definitely want size. Not at the expense mm-hmm. of speed, but I think they do want some size. Remember, too, they are expecting speed back in the lineup with Mikheyev. Right. So you have to, you know, that, that almost feels like a free agent signing as well, but... Yeah, those are the three needs, I think. The third-line center class, Lawton, McLeod, Enrique, Goodrow on the trade market, Confer, O'Reilly, Rodriguez, Camp on the free agent class. Like, is there a name that jumps out at you at all? No, they're all kind of meh to me, honestly. Like, yeah. I'm not down I mean, on O'Reilly you. certainly has a resume that would get people's attention. I'm not sure how much he has left at 32 because yeah. there's a lot of hard miles on that. I would not be He's going down He's played in the NHL for a long time. You're, play, you're paying for too much shine there that the Canucks are not in the position to be paying right. for shine. Like, the other rumored team with him is, well, 
one of the rumored teams is Colorado, which makes perfect way more sense. sense. Way more Slide sense. into the third line center role in Colorado. Yeah. You know, begin your transition, which has already begun, really, in St. Louis. The Canucks need to sign a guy like an Evan Rodriguez or the like and mm-hmm. have that guy have a career year. You know, like, you know, you're, and I don't mean 30 goal career year. I mean, 18 goal year, you know, something like that. They need a guy to come in and just have his best year um, for a, a low freight. And you take the best gamble you can that you're going to get that guy. You think you think Canucks could pry Nicholas Waugh out of Vegas? Boy, he played so well in the playoffs. Yeah. And I know that someone or something is going to have to shake out there in Vegas. Uh, don't think they're going to resign Barbashev. Yeah, I think he's priced them. Don't think that. Oh. But yeah, here's the thing, though. They got Barbashev and Bluger as both UFAs. So. If you're going to lose those two guys and Nicholas Watt, you've suddenly gone from a team that had sort of depth and guys who can play center ice to a team that doesn't have that anymore. So I would be surprised. He's on a good contract, $3 million for the next four years. 6-4, right shot. No, he checks I know. the boxes. I know, and, and has some offensive acumen as well. But I, I just, I guess I would be surprised if he's the guy who shakes out. I don't see him on the daily face-off trade list, which, you know, isn't a prerequisite. But I, I do think, like, I think Vegas is probably more inclined to want to move Alec Martinez on at his ticket and given the depth they have on defense mm-hmm. than to move a guy who was front and center, no pun intended, in your Stanley Cup championship. That's welcome out for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at SecureSomePrice.com. You can text 778-402-9680 to the Great Clips text message inbox and all your local Great Clips proudly Canadian-owned and operated. On Twitter, I'm at Secures at SecureSomePrice. And the welcome at a presentation of Northlands Golf Course, Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. You can book your tee times 90 days in advance. Don't forget to join the loyalty program. Price your next round could be free. Details, GolfNorthlands.com. Harrison Price from Wall Center. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. I'll start us off at Richard Deitch. The cover of Sports Illustrated 29 years ago today. This is yesterday. You remember this one, Blake? Why the NHL's hot. And the NBA oh, is yeah. not. I'll never forget it. I, I, I saw it in my chiropractic office. That's where I saw it. Not mine. I wasn't a chiropractor. And uh, <laughs> chiropractor's office. Is there office. something you're not telling us, yeah. Blake? Thought you were an English lit guy. It, it's probably hard to explain to our younger listeners just how meaningful that was in 1994. I'm not sure there was better real estate in sports media at the time than the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was sort of the Bible of sports. Everybody had a subscription. If you were a sports fan, it was like a must-read. The best writers, the biggest stories. Even more than ESPN, really. Like it was. Oh, yes, in 94 for sure. I mean, you know, ESPN was established and very good and all that. But if I'm not mistaken, ESPN was just sort of starting to make its foray into the NFL, it was, you know, mm-hmm. more so a college football, college basketball network at the time. I don't even believe they were using worldwide leader uh, in sports at that point. So making it to the cover of Sports Illustrated was achievement. 
particularly to have a lauding color like uh, cover like why the NHL is hot. And of course, we know why the NHL was hot. It was an incredible playoffs, including a Stanley Cup final that the Vancouver Canucks came within an eighth in Lafayette post of of tying the New York Rangers. There was that great seven-game series between the Rangers and Devils with the Messier guarantee in the Eastern Conference Final. There were some terrific series uh, previously in the in that playoffs. There was a seven-gamer with Toronto and San Jose. The Leafs advanced to the Western Final to face Vancouver. Yes, the Leafs to the Western Final. And there were four seven-game series in the first round that year, including the Vancouver-Calgary Classic won by the Canucks. Well, Dom Lecision of The Athletic, this cover and what happened next is Gary Bettman's legacy. Player agent Alan Walsh, a few months after this cover, Bettman locked out NHL players, demanding a hard salary cap, killing momentum from the Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. NHL players stayed strong, refused to crack, and Gary surrendered on a new CBA without a cap. Of course, he would not 10 years later when they wiped out a full season. You know, this is one of the things that I get back to on this commissioner. The mission was to grow the game in the United States, particularly on television. Have they grown the game in the United States? Well, absolutely, with expansion franchises in the Sun Belt. Have they grown it as a commercial enterprise on television? Well, sports rights have, needless to say, inflated many, many times over since then. So if you want to give them credit for that, sure, fine. But to me, the question is, what would a different commissioner in that chair have been able to get and perhaps avoid when it comes to a 12-year single entity arrangement in Canada? And um, really, hockey is no better off on television these days, Blake, in the United States. Mm-hmm. They just don't like it as much as we do. And this recent Stanley Cup final was an absolute dog. At Jesse Spector on the same note, from 2006 to 2015... The initial salary cap went from $39 million to $69 million. From 2015 to 2024, it'll go from $69 million to $83.5 million. And $69 million from 2015 in today's dollars is $87.2 million. <laughs> How does Gary Bettman still yeah. have a job? Well, I guess part of the argument there would be if you're an owner, that's pretty good. We've suppressed player costs. But so then our counterparts. But of course, the player costs are supposed to be tied to hockey-related revenue. So mm-hmm. again, all ships are supposed to rise. Right. So the players and the owners should be cheering for a big salary cap because it'll mean that everybody's making money. Mm-hmm. At Ben Steiner Double Zero CPL, a watershed day in Langley this evening as Vancouver FC defeated the three-time CPL champions Forge FC two 0 for their first home home win. Goals from. 16-year-old T.J. Tahid of Maple Ridge and TMU Bold alumnus Amir Kanani. Well, congratulations to Vancouver FC and to the 16-year-old who scores a big goal out at the LEC. This is a new team. We chronicled their uh, home opener several weeks back. We've chronicled the portable pickup and lay-it-down stadium that they've built there out at the LEC. And I got to say, I, I'm continually impressed with the way the C, uh, CPL has carved its its niche here, Blake, among soccer supporters. That being said, 
What was uh, the attendance? In April, nobody was there. Oh. At April, uh, on April 22nd, at Ben Steiner 00, mm. Vancouver FC Sean Hundle throwing shade at Vancouver Whitecaps FC. This is after they got their first ever win anywhere. Oh. Back in mid-April? April. I Quote, I know there's the Whitecaps, and I don't think they win a lot of games. Oh. It's nice to be a team that's got to win. I hope we can show the rest of Vancouver what we can do and that oh. the Whitecaps can't. Oh. End quote. Yeah. Maybe until you've done it. What's his name? Sean Hundall. Sean, I don't think you want that smoke. <laughs> no, I just... <laughs> From that point on... Let's understand what you are and what you aren't. It took them over two months yeah. to get win number two. Right. Careful. And uh, Sean, Ryan Gold is not walking through that door. <laughs> no. Pedro Vite is not walking through that door. At SI Now, Angels prospect Joe Adele has hit the longest home run ever tracked. Really? By Statcast. He was a pretty good prospect. He sort of failed to launch a little bit, but... Pardon the pun, uh, he didn't fail last night. No. Former consensus top 10 prospect, leads all minor leaguers with 20 home runs this season, and in a Salt Lake Bees Sugarland Space Cowboys match... Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's hey a now. thing. That's a thing. He hit a game-time three-run homer 514 feet. Gosh, even the Polo Grounds is impressed with that home run. 514 feet. Uh, there have only been three major league home runs uh, over 500 feet. Giancarlo Stanton in 2016, C.J. Cron in mm-hmm. 2022. Uh, each one was 504. Nomar Mazzara holds the big league record of 505 back in 2019. Mm-hmm. Of course, Stanton is a man-child, and Cron's a pretty big dude as well. Yeah. At Draft Express, Jonathan Giveney on the NBA Draft News. Marquette's Olivier Maxence Prosper has received a green room invitation to attend the NBA Draft with his family on June 22nd. That's tomorrow, hmm. a source told ESPN. Prosper, now ranked number 20 in the ESPN mock draft, has seen his stock skyrocket in the pre-draft process. Yeah, this is a Canadian wing. Montrealer playing at Marquette. They had a very good season. And, Blake, even with Zach Eady... The big seven foot three, seven foot four Purdue center who won the Naismith Player of the Year as the best collegian last year. He's returning to Purdue for his fourth year. So even with him out of the mix for this draft, a perceived down year for Canada, this kid Prosper and Leonard Miller, who's a wing with the G League and the youngest guy in the draft, are both likely to be first round picks. There could be two Canadians in the first round of this NBA draft tomorrow in a quote unquote down year. For Canadian prospects. So that's where the bar is moving now with basketball, with Canadians in basketball, that if we only get two guys picked in the first round, and they'll both probably be later, Miller could slide to the second round. When are they going to change the name to the Canadian Basketball Association? <laughs> <laughs> and that's hashtags for today. Harrison Price from Wall Center. Today's Bulldog poll question asking you which defenseman should the Canucks target in a trade? Samuel Gerard, Noah Hannafin, Colton Pareko, Brett Pesci. You can vote at Harrison Price on Twitter. Bulldog, your source for casino games, poker strategy, and sports. We mentioned Dominic Rimes being out for the Lions tomorrow. That D.C. defense, running game, special teams, I think, all the more important in Winnipeg against the three-time West champion Bombers. And, of course, B.C.'s offense did Absolutely nothing in the first half last week. So I'm going under 49 points between the Lions 
and Blue Bombers in Winnipeg on your Bodog line of the day. Here he is, one half of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast, TSN Hockey Insider, and our Wednesday regular, Mr. Darren Dreger. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. You know, it's uh, closing in on the week, obviously, leading up to uh, the uh, NHL draft. So more trade speculation um, and lots of discussions among NHL general managers. What, what I don't get a full handle on is whether or not anybody is in a position where they're poised to act. They keep saying there's appetite to act, but you know when you get this close to the draft, that's that's not unusual, right? I mean, the temperature is mm-hmm. elevating, but it's not at a point where you feel 100% certain this is the best move you're going to make, unless you're Danny Breer and the Philadelphia Flyers. And then you know he's proven already as a young GM that he's not afraid to pull the trigger. So I think it's more about the swirling effect of the conversation and the discussions at this point. But before we get to the uh, the tidbits here, um, is this is this calendar here to stay? Are we going to see the draft uh, up against free agency like this going forward? Do you think, or are, they, are we still sort of in that transition pr- um, process out of COVID, where it'll be bumped back a week again? Um, that's a good question. No, I don't think so. I you know I, they, they've worked pretty hard to get to a place where they're back on point <clears throat> with uh, the yeah. calendar. So I don't have any indication to suggest. <laughs> Sorry, fellas, um, that that's going to change moving forward. So they they like the position that they're in, and it's all systems go according to head office. And, mi- and midweek draft, do you think that's a thing to well, stay as well here, Wednesday, Thursday, rather than the traditional Friday, Saturday? Yeah, you come to- well, they, I think part of the reason they like it is they can contain all of it into that week, right? And you're not yeah. crossing you know, the, the continent in certain situations because you've got the NHL awards. Uh, to start the week, followed by everything else around the draft. So I, in fairness, I haven't asked that question about whether or not, you know, they're going to continue to embrace the Wednesday, Thursday draft. I I happen to love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful thing. for sure. Other than the fact that we're flying back on Friday um, from Nashville, and then we have July 1st free agent frenzy on Saturday, which is going to complicate things uh, a little bit. But I don't know. I, I, I think most people are just ha- happy uh, that they're back to the calendar, as I, I talked about. And July 1st remains a marker. So jam as much as you can in the week leading up to Free Agent Frenzy, and, and everybody can get on with whatever their summer It's a lot like. of fun. If I know anything about Nashville, there are going to be some sore feet huh. and some closed eyelids on that flight Friday. Not for this yes. guy, man. I've been there, no? and I've done that, and I just turned 55, <laughs> and no, no, no. Unless I'm... You're I'm, not making it to Tootsies? No, I'm not, Come on, hold you got to make it to Tootsies. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but I've been there dozens of times, and I'm not bragging. That's just a fact. <laughs> and I just feel like this stage of my life, uh, unless I'm chasing a story at 11 p.m., I'm probably better served to be in the wrapper and getting freshened up for the next day. Crisp hotel sheets is yeah. just as much of a oh, lure yeah. as... Yeah, sure, sure. 100% right. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> when you're looking forward to the heavenly bed yes. as opposed to the activities yes. outside yeah. of it. Um, Dregs, uh, boy, uh, all indications heading up to last week from yourself and others were just skeptical the Aquilinis would green light a buyout of OEL. Yeah. How, surpri- how surprised were you uh, when the news came down on Friday? And what do you know about the process that led them well, to that decision? I think I was as surprised as Oliver Ekman-Larsen was. Um, you know, I think the camp made it abundantly clear 
they did not expect that that was coming. Um, I mean, they knew that it was a, a possibility, and that's just not just because of wider spread media speculation, not necessarily targeting OAL, but I think loosely we all kind of talked about if you're looking at targets of buyout from the Vancouver Canucks, who might they be? And Oliver Ekman Larson's name was out there in that sense, but uh, doesn't sound like they were given much of any indication that this was the path that they were going to take. So, what it tells me, um, given what we know of most ownership groups, and in this case the Aquilinis, who just don't want anything to do with dead money, they realize that the money saved on the contract and the freedom that it creates by generating cap space is in the long run and in the short term perhaps going to make the Vancouver Canucks that much better, which also translates into dollars. I mean, if they're as competitive and as potentially a, a playoff contending team as they want and expect to be through the ads this offseason, then you're not so worried about the, the, the buyout numbers that are attached here to Oliver ekman Larson. And it also tells you that management exhausted all the trade scenarios. Pretty much, right? Not to say that yep. Patrick Alvin can't pull something out of the hat in the days ahead here in Nashville. Um, but for management to convince the Aquilinis that, okay, there's no guarantee we're going to be able to do this. And here are the roster needs that we need. So why don't we move forward with a buyout? And if we can create additional cap space via trade, then we'll do that too. I think they had to exhaust all of that to get to the final decision. And I think we talked about this with you before it even happened, and certainly in the aftermath, we can look back. Maybe the Minnesota Wild were that were that case study for Patrick Ovin that yeah. they survived. They remained somewhat competitive despite two pretty massive, almost grotesque sized buyouts, and yeah. and they're still paying the price. Uh, the Minnesota Wild are, but. They seem to be still in a competitive window despite those buyouts. That has to be Exhibit A, right? Um, and yep. it's 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 not like Craig Leopold, the owner of the Minnesota Wild, enjoys paying people that no longer play for his team. I mean, it'd be ludicrous to suggest that he was on board. Billy Garen had to do a sales job and convinced him that for the greater good, that was the right approach. And and I think the proof is, as they say in the pudding, now the season didn't end the way the Minnesota Wild were hoping. You know, Garen, I think, would still like to shake things up and, and maybe hit his core a little bit. We'll see in, in the days ahead. But it did prove to other owners that sometimes, as distasteful as it is, you've got to go down this path. So, But that cuts both ways. You know, if things had gone differently and the Minnesota Wild had failed miserably last season and all of a sudden, a sudden you know, ticket sales are dropping considerably, guess what's happening? Craig Leopold is bringing Bill Guerin into the office and saying, this yeah. didn't work and it's on you. That's, that's, that's the reality of the business, right? So that probably applies to the Canucks management here as well. Um, Thank you, Kirill Kaprizov. Thank you, Elias Patterson, yeah, 100%. right? 100%. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, look, I mean, now let's give the benefit of the doubt to, to Alvin and to Jimmy Rutherford. We know what their needs are. You know, we've talked about pretty much weekly on the segment. You know, they keep looking for that third-line center. We know they want a penalty-kill shutdown defenseman. And if it's available, and it probably will be through free agency, they'd really like to add a big, tough winger. And and not for purposes of fighting, just because, as we saw in the Stanley Cup final, you know, the bigger teams traditionally have been better 
right? I mean, you mm-hmm. cover more ice. You need that physicality that we saw the Florida Panthers play through the postseason with, and then they just ran into the injury wall against the, the Vegas Golden Knights. So those are pretty significant needs, you know? So you know, mm-hmm. they're not all going to be realized through, through trade, and I don't, I don't happen to love the free agent market, but there are some interesting pieces that will get the attention of the, the Canucks. Last week, you told us about Scott Lawton, the Philadelphia center um, who's on the block and apparently drawing some interest. Do you know who they may target on defense, Dregs? I don't, but it's it's an intriguing market, isn't it, when you look around, right? You know, Brett Pesci's name has been out there, but I, I think Carolina's trying to reel that one back in. I mean, their preference is to sign Brett Pesci. You know, it's kind of... No pun intended. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Reel him back in. Well, well yeah. phrased. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, you, you look at Noah Hannafin, of course, who's potentially available from the Calgary Flames. You know, here's a defenseman that's kind of gone under the radar. We've just kind of forgotten about him since the trade deadline, and that's Joel Edmondson from the Montreal Canadiens. And I think that, that he'll be attractive because of the player that he is. But again, you've got a, a short term. So there's there's no long-term buy in on, on Joel Edmondson. You know, does he move the needle? Uh, I don't know. And again, I'm just scraping the surface here of some of the potential guys that uh, are, are, are in play. And there will be a vast number of players that are getting consideration. Uh, you know, Travis Sanheim, the Philadelphia Flyers, is a name that has kind of surfaced of late. I put Sanheim in the same grouping of Scott Lawton and Travis Konechny. You know, if you're Danny Breer, of course you have to listen. But if you're acquiring that piece, it's because the deal is to, too good for a rebuilding organization to back away from. So maybe uh, maybe the, the Vancouver Canucks have the, the mag- magic package here to, to make a bigger deal happen. Back on the Canucks, Ethan Bear, poor Ethan Bear, gets hurt at the world, shoulder surgery. He's going to be out till yeah. um, perhaps uh, mid-December or something like that, Drags. An RFA with a, uh, was it 2.2 qualifying yeah. offer? yeah. Uh, but, of course, not a lot of leverage now, and we're wondering, is this now a player that Canucks walk away from because of the injury, or are you hearing anything on Ethan Bear with the Canucks? Well, the only thing I've heard, and, and you know, it's literally minutes ago, is that there's there's no certainty one way or another, and, and that's more coming from the player's side of this. Uh, obviously, there's an appetite from Ethan Bear's perspective to – to link in longer term with uh, the Vancouver Canucks, whatever that term might be. He felt comfortable there. He played good hockey for the Vancouver Canucks. Scary injury. An injury, as the Canucks have disclosed, is going to keep him out for months. So maybe there's some reservation there. Um, but, you know, Vancouver needs defense. Uh, and they, they know this guy. As long as there's a common ground and Ethan Bear you know, isn't trying to move the needle financially here, there, there could be a spot for him, but it's still too soon to say. And nothing that I would suggest is on the front burner to lead us to a place where we can say, no, it's more likely he signs versus there isn't going to be a deal there for him. Canucks or not Canucks, is there any defenseman out there that you find it surprising that might be available? Like the, the, you're, 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 you didn't think that he would be available. Like, is is a Gerard really truly available? Um, yeah. Anybody like that? Well, every year we look at the Colorado Avalanche and and we wonder which of those defensemen are finally going to pop into the market, right? And mm-hmm. I think we thought that 
after they won the Stanley Cup uh, and then some of the retooling that they were going to have to go through, and yet they, they managed to maintain them. So I, I, I guess I wouldn't be overly surprised when I look at, at Sam Gerrard, but I would wonder what the, the Avalanche are targeting that needs to come back the other way. I guess if I'm looking at defense, I'm looking at the Columbus Blue Jackets because they, they seem to be hoarding good defense right now. So is it you know one of their younger guys? Is it a more experienced defenseman? There are some names that we have on our trade bait graphics and whatnot. If you look at the deeper list, not the, the top 10, it feels like Yarmo is is going to do more. And maybe he's just mm-hmm. waiting to get the, the Babcock contract solidified once his deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs expires at the end of this month. And then they get into the more heavier lifting. But I'd keep an eye on Columbus and what they might do there. Okay, let me uh, just run down the list and you tell me the guy you think most likely to be traded. Eric Carlson, Noah Hannafin, Brad Pesci, Pareko and Falk in St. Louis, Grizzlick and Forbert in Boston. <laughs> Gerard, which name out there you think has got the most activity is most likely to be dealt? Mm, well, I mean, we talked a bit about Brett Pesci. There's no short of, of <laughs> interest in him. Um, but Vancouver or, uh, Carolina would also very much like to extend him. This is always the dance we seem to go through with Carolina Hurricanes players. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, and I don't yep. I, look at, I admire the way Tom Dunnan has come into the national hockey league and his approach because he gets stuff done and he gets contracts and players on good value. Um, Noah Hannafin is curious to me. There's a lot of buzz around him as, as there should be. And I, I think Hannafin is just trying to, to decide where is the best fit for him. Not necessarily a team that they've identified. You know, that's up to Pat Brisson and CAA Hockey to, to figure out. Is it time for him to move out of Calgary? Does he feel like that's mm-hmm. in his best interest? And, you know, the way that you encourage that is by doing what Pierre-Luc Dubois and others have done and simply telling your organization you're not going to sign. That's the reason why Hannafin's name is out there, right? Is because, you know, they're not sure they want to commit full-time, long-term yeah. to the Calgary Flames. If he's actually legit in play, I'd put Sanheim into that category as well. I like Travis Sanheim. I, I I think he'd be a real good fit and a nice ad for a team. Yeah, big contract there, a lot of term. But uh, if you like him, um, that may be viewed as yeah. a as a yeah. benefit. And, and look, uh, here's the thing: when you talk about Carolina, boy, Dregs, when Dundon came into the league, I think we all had our concerns because he was so swashbuckling. You look at that organization yeah. now, they're a courage of their conviction organization. They got an identity that might be the most pronounced in the National Hockey League. Players yeah. they believe in, they move on early and get them signed up long term. They draft and develop beautifully. I mean, and $24 yeah. million yeah. Dollars in cap space, a gentleman, for a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not sure there's a team that's yeah. better positioned. Which is which is why we we had them penciled in for a JT Miller trade way back when. But let but let's yeah, yeah. Let, let's just address that goes through because we still get um we still get feedback in, in you know on social and in our inbox about JT Miller trades. Yeah. That's not happening anymore, right? Like I, I, from from no. any sides, the JT Miller is not getting traded before July first, right? No, well, look, and I think you automatically in our business you have to couch everything and and just state that anything is yeah. possible. If, if, you know, somebody steps up and it's just beyond belief, then I, I guess they have to consider it. Um, but I mean, I, I stated a long time ago with you guys that as soon as Rick Tockett came in, he identified JT Miller as the obvious, a very competitive player, 
Although if if you can if you can bridle the energy of JT Miller and the emotion of JT Miller, you're gonna have something that is, if not unique, it's special. Mm -hmm. And I think that Tockett was able to do that over the course of the season from the point he took over. And I think there'd be a real unhappy head coach in Vancouver if all of a sudden this guy got moved. Uh, great word, bridal. Boy, this was real in Pesci, bridal Miller. It's on his game. It's the offseason. It's Darren Dreger, our Wednesday NHL insider. Thank you for this, my friend. We'll catch up next week. Okay, guys. Thank you. Oh, to the people. To the people. Yes. Let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. And to the people we go is brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. And Jason doesn't just do residential mortgages. He does commercial mortgages as well. If you're a business owner looking to buy your building, a builder, developer looking for options beyond your bank, get Jason's expert if opinion you can find him jason dot mortgage we'll start with a hot take from jc who says to us history will reflect the oel trade as one the canucks did not lose the draft picks including dylan gunther do not become impactful players oel is a healthy scratch for a new team for most of the season garland is not traded and becomes a reliable 2025 goal scorer with ongoing five on five production very counterintuitive, Jay. I will give you that. That is one of the criteria on hot take. So you're you're going to argue then because there's still a cost here because you still have the mm-hmm. the cap hit for OEL, but you're basically arguing here that Garland's production will offset the cost of the cap hit. Mm-hmm. He's got to perform it quite because then you're suggesting well because you've also accounted for OEL for two years at the expense of what you otherwise could have had for OEL's ticket. Yeah, that counts too. Yeah, Hunter Hate, the second round pick who was involved here with the Vancouver selection, it wound up with the Minnesota Wild via Arizona. He was a he's a centerman with the Barry Colts or was when he was selected on top of Dylan Gunther and. Uh, boy, I love, I really like Gunther. Uh, uh, we've talked to Ray Ferraro about him late last year, who said, you know, he's not a great skater, but he might be that offensive player who is just so smart and was such a good shooter that he's able to offset his lack of pure foot speed. When did, when did Louis I mean, Harrison's- He had six goals in 33 NHL games this year, Gunther. Before being returned to the WHL, Erickson's contract and and uh, Roussel and stuff they uh, they were done as of last year, right? Last year, yeah. It so year. it's really only one year of OEL's mm-hmm. contract to be considered. It, it you know it it has the potential to be close. I still don't know that it's possible. You're going to ask Garland to really outperform. I think Garland mm-hmm. needs to be a 35 goal yeah. scorer for that to be. Kept. I'm going hot on the take. I love the counterintuitiveness here, but I just I have trouble seeing the. I'm going All Luke. The different I'm going Luke. Grady, break the tie. Hot, hot, hot. Austin and Langley, hot take. But Ard's first goal against the Canucks is off an assist from OEL. Could absolutely see OEL wind up with Chicago. You don't see him going to a, a team better than Chicago? Well, a team better than Chicago? That, like as a well, bottom pair. Yeah. That's, um, I, like he's been... There's been reports, Tampa, Boston, those types yeah. of teams. Yeah, uh, on a discount deal, would, I can see that as well. It would have to be dirt cheap, like, and I mean like guys, a million bucks. Guys, he's, what is he, 32? 
Yeah. Like, I think he's going to want a little more term or opportunity. Here, I think he's right? going to expect two and a half, honestly. Like, do, you, do, you, do you think he's going to resign himself to being no better than a third pair defenseman on a contender, like the Bogosian route already? Yeah, I think, yeah? He, I think okay. he very well might. But, I mean, for any of like, the Bruins or even like an Islanders team to fit him, I mean, <laughs> they can't commit much more than two. Like, they <laughs> really can't. I'm going hot. I'm not moved enough by the take, Austin, but I, I like Yeah, I'll go hot, sure. Hot, hot, hot. Honest AB, tell me I'm wrong. If the Canucks for fans want Besser to be a 30-goal scorer, he needs consistent power play one time. There were 54 30-goal scores last year. I believe all of them got significant power play one time. Oh, you can't get to 30 with a consistent PP one time. I agree. I mean, you'd have to be an extraordinary five-on-five five winger to get to 30 with no PP one time. I like this one from Kevin because I was talking about it with my dad the other day. Tell me I'm wrong. Final rounds of majors in golf have become predictable and boring. Spot on, Kevin. I, I was sitting there talking to my dad going, when is the last time that we've had a cracking finish at a golf major? You take a look at this here. Not so much. Kind of processional at the U.S. Open. I mean, Clark had to play well on 18. I don't know. McElroy was lurking. I don't know. Yeah, he was lurking. Well, Cameron Smith was a, a terrific finish last year at the Open Championship to win it. Matthew Fitzpatrick was like the last of the survivors of last year's U.S. Open. Justin Thomas won the PGA last year because Mito Pereira absolutely crumbled under the pressure on 18, made double bogey. What's Scotty Scheffler like four-putted to win the Masters. What's the suggestion year? here, though? I guess just, it's just coincidence. Not a, well, like what's the reason? No, I, I don't necessarily think he's identifying a trend and saying this will be the case forevermore. What I'm saying is... You take a look at the last few rounds or a few years of majors. Have we had a Mickelson Stenson shooting the lights out at the Open Championship at Troon? Not really. Have we had a Tiger Woods v. Bob May or Chris DeMarco down the stretch and into a playoffs? Not I, uh, so much. I would be tempted to say it's because they made the courses so hard that only a few can survive, but it was always thus. Like they, It's always been super punitive. Um I, I just I don't know that I can identify a reason why that is. And I still do think the depth in the PGA Tour, even <laughs> with Liv stealing a few, um, is, is is as good as it's ever been. Still, um, that you've mm-hmm. got a, you've got guys down the field like the Wyndham Clarks that can jump up yeah. and grab a major. I, I'm just I'd love to see a dramatic finish here at some point. We're, we haven't had a lot of those. I mean, John Rahm won the Masters by four strokes this year. Yeah. Yeah. Kepka as well. We knew he was winning the PGA this year. But the, but the good news is, unlike the Tiger stuff, where it was dominance, you just felt like you were playing for second whenever you teed off yeah, in a major. you're playing for first place. But, like, every, you know, there's a lot of different major winners. Like, we're getting different guys. So it mm-hmm. just so happens that the guy that wins just has a really good weekend. Mm-hmm. Hot take Vancouver makes June 16th <laughs> OEL day. So it's like Bobby Bonilla day with the Mets because the Cucks have his cap hit into the next decade. It's from Jason in Cloverdale. Mm hmm. It'll feel like that. I like this hot take from uh, Graham and Hardy. The PGA slash PIF will start to do a golf series called Raw or something along those lines. Top 30 players in the world play courses like Whistler, Vernon, I think he means Predator Ridge. Courses in Oregon like Bandon Dunes, maybe Japan. Just the players and the caddies, no fans, mic'd up, having unfiltered conversations while playing the game. They play for 72 holes, best score wins 5 million, top 30 would change as players play throughout the year. 
I'm not sure they're going to commit to 72 holes, Graham. No. Typically those That's it's 18 not or quite 36 silly season, but yeah, yeah uh, that would be that would be it. Can't say this a little, I'll give you a hot. I like the concept though. I had this concept uh I'll I'll give it a hot, sure. Hot, I, I, I had this concept for a show back in the day. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do like a, a travel golf show where you take out a pro and then another celebrity, maybe a hockey player, and you sort of do a postcard for the given course, mm-hmm. play the round, kibitz, have some fun. I think it would have been good. Yeah. Didn't happen. Can I be a part of that? Yeah, sure. Oh. Executive producer. Thank you. Huh. You don't get to play, though. I don't get to play. <laughs> oh. uh, where are we going here? Joseph in Ottawa? Well, Joseph in Ottawa has patted himself on the back. Let's go on the defense side here with the Canucks. Uh, this is in response to Patrick Johnson yesterday on YouTube. David says, everyone's talking about OEL's points. They were all majority scored when Hughes was out injured and OEL got first power play unit, first line minutes, and with no one else to fill the position. With the Canucks power play first line, anyone, see Luke Shen, is going to get points by simply being on the ice with those unit players. When Hughes was in the lineup, good luck finding OEL. And there's some fairness there, David, especially about if you get the plum assignment of this Canucks power play. James says, honestly, Vegas and Edmonton are legit contenders, and L.A. is all right, but Calgary and Seattle? Can't beat them. You've got no business being in the playoffs, especially Calgary. Gee whiz. They've got an old core and no prospects. They stink. Eh, it's a harsh assessment of the Flames. I'd, I'd be a I little think kinder. I the Flames have got a couple years yeah. left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, this one reads like, tell me I'm wrong from Gordon. The, the Canucks still have to use that cap space to fill four more roster spots. So they're going to have to move another big contract if they want to sign or trade for one to two players with more than minimal contracts. Four is the higher end, but I hear what Gordon is saying. Yeah. What they're Two hoping, defensemen, a third-line center, and a big winger. What they're hoping for, though, is that Pod Colson and or Hoaglander <laughs> fill uh, the, the winger role, um, and maybe they're down to three there. Connor Gar- um, Sand from Van. Connor Garland for Andrew Peak. Possible. Yeah. Already some small wingers in Columbus. Headlined, of course, by Johnny Goudreau. But, but they do have surplus of yeah. defense, and Peak is a pure defender at $2.75 million for the next few years. So you're talking about Columbus taking on a, an additional $2 million per for a winger training the right shot defense. I'm not sure that would be a straight-up deal for them. Yeah, they got four point seven in projected cap right now. Yeah, so it's possible. Mm-hmm. And we'll end on this one. Roy says, "Matt, you called it. You're brilliant." Oh, so you don't want you don't want the guy in Ottawa in the middle to be patting his back, but you're okay patting oh, your own back. Hey, Joseph in Ottawa doesn't host this show. Oh my! God. When he hosts this show, he will get the the shine. Uh-huh. Why yeah. did I put this on the list? Why did you put that I on the list? In the middle of the Rick Dollywall interview, he's going through everything last Friday and go, Rick, this is why they have to buy out OEL. And sure enough, uh, minutes later, they did. Uh-huh. <sighs> Satisfied. So Garrison Price from Wall Center, we have our Hall of Fame class, hawk, class hockey 2023. And uh, I got to say, uh, this group has surprised me in the past, and it continues to surprise me. 
First, the uh, Canucks content here. Alex McGillney, once again, did not make the grade. And uh, current assistant coach Sergei Gontar also on the outside looking in of this class. Lots of goalies. Grady should be happy. Henrik Lundqvist, Tom Barrasso, Mike Vernon, Pierre Turgeon, Carolyn Wallet, Ken Hitchcock, Pierre Lacroix, former manager in Colorado, former player agent before that. Uh, Barrasso is kind of a big surprise. At least he is for me. But you've always said, Blake, that the American player is going to get a little more leniency from the committee because they want to include more American players. Maybe. For sure. And he is, of course, that. Uh, the other thing about Tom Barrasso, he played in the National Hockey League at goal, in goal, at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. There's just very few in the history of the league who have done that. He won 26 games that rookie year for the Buffalo Sabres as he well. He won the Calder. Mm-hmm. He actually has a decent amount of hardware. Yeah, he well, including Stanley Cups yeah. with Pittsburgh. Now, career sort of, it had some blips and it petered out a little bit. But 369 career wins, 324 goals against average. Remember, he played in a higher scoring era as well with an 892 save percentage. And 777 games. 40 shutouts all time for Tom Barrasso. Vernon's got a lot of hardware too, of course, in Calgary and Detroit with Stanley Cups. And Henrik Lundqvist, who for me was the slam dunk candidate, is one of the best goalies of his generation and ever. I'm I'm a-okay with Pierre Turgeon, to be quite honest. Turgeon, uh, it was funny because I read something on Turgeon today with regards to if he had stayed in one spot, he would be a franchise icon somewhere and would probably already be in. But because his career bounced around to basically four markets where he was an effective player, Buffalo, the Island, Montreal, and St. Louis, he didn't quite have the critical mass of backers behind yeah. him because he was only there so relatively briefly. Despite a bit of a long denouement at the end of his career of five seasons of marginal production, he still finished over a point per game. Yeah, at thir- 1,327 yeah. points. So the critical mass is there for points. And 500 goals. Blake. And over 500 goals. So, you know, that that ticks the boxes yep. for me. Like, if that that's fine. Um, he was an exceptionally gifted offensive player. Yeah. And look, the first overall pick in the 87 draft... We've talked to Ray about Pierre in the past about just how talented he was. Well, his 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 pièce de résistance in ninety two ninety three fifty eight goal season one hundred and thirty two mm-hmm. points. Now that is the only time he scored more than forty goals. That's the only time. And is that the only hundred point season, or did he have? He, a, no, he had a hundred and six point season, forty oh, goals okay. on the nose, and one hundred and six points in eighty nine and mm-hmm. ninety. Um, but you start to get more defensive oriented play right. the further you get into the 90s. So that 132 is actually pretty darn spectacular. It really is. And he had 94 points the, the year after. He had 96 and 95, 96. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very no good player. There. No cups there. In fact, I don't even believe he went beyond the second round. No, nope. 15 games is the yeah. longest playoff run for him as a blue. So went beyond the second round once. But, uh, yeah. But, again, you, you cross-reference that. Kind of a that. sneaky candidate. And we mentioned it earlier in the week that with very few slam-dunk first-year eligible guys, this could be a class where guys who have waited some time ultimately get in. And 
Gosh, obviously, Barrasso and Dershon and Vernon have waited some time here. Uh, it, it's unbelievable I mean, not, to see these guys still there. I mean, Tershon's last game was 16 years ago. Yeah. When was Barrasso's last game? Gosh, a long time ago. Even Ver- before that. Early 2000s, yeah. Barrasso's last game was 20 years ago. Lungfist, sixth all-time in wins. Okay, I get it. Um, Mike Vernon, 16th in wins. Okay, I get it. Barrasso's 21st in wins. And wins is an imperfect yeah. stat, but it's going to come into play on the body of a long career when the Hall sits down for their selections. Okay. Arison omissions from yesterday's program, and I'm... Uh, oh, here we go. Sad to report there are many. Oh, no. But, Grady, you're sort of off the hook here. What? And Blake is on the hook. Mm. Although, we did the tweet from Big Head Hockey about number of first overalls that has scored fewer points through their first, first yeah. three seasons. Grady guessed Alexander Dagg, and you said more than 30 years ago. It is actually just 30 years this year. People forget, Dagg had a 51-20 goal first year. Mm-hmm. He was actually pretty good in his rookie year for a really horrible Ottawa team. And then injuries came into play. He did not play full schedules. And he went all the way down to 37 and 17 points in his next couple of years. But I guess still more than Lafreniere. Remember, he was a 20-goal scorer when he came back to hockey after his re- initial retirement. Uh, yeah. He scored 20 with the Minnesota That's Wild right. in 0304. He's a totally serviceable player. The Seattle Thunderbirds play at the Show Air Center. It is in Kent, Washington, as we discussed. Basketball Phil's putting me on errors and omissions. He said, when you talked about the Vancouver Canadians and the BC Lions... Combining for 40,000 in live attendance Saturday. He said, Matt, you missed the Vancouver Bandits of the CEBL. Right you are, Phil. And I'm going to put Blake on East Nose as well. Called the Lions and Bombers mini Grey Cup or Grey Cup preview. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible if one team takes the crossover playoff in the East, but I think it's more likely to be the CFL West final for a second year. Yeah, I didn't call like, it a Grey Cup preview. My point was... a mini Grey Cup. Yes, it meant a big game. Okay. That's what I meant. All right. Grady, is that yeah. that, or do you have more? Well, accountability is big on my part here, and I made a small editing error to start the podcast yesterday. So if you're one of the 1,100 people... That heard some of the ads playing before our segments finished. That's my fault. I'm sorry. 1,100 messages on that, huh? Good. Well, 1,100 listens. Um, And then I forgot to add an extra F in Yef Patterson's name on one of our tweets. Wow. Jeff with the J, Patterson 1T. He's never specified two Fs because he doesn't feel he (laughs) needs to. You'd think all both, the times both spellings I've, of Jeff contain double F's. Yes, yeah. you'd think all the times I've uh, added him in our tweets, I'd uh, I'd figure that one out by now. Hmm. Bodog line of the daytime with Blake Price. Bodog, your trusted source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like? What you got? Uh, we've got some easy nos on the soccer front for tomorrow. Um, by the way, we'll get to we'll get oh. to that tomorrow. As uh, as we so often do. Going to the Women's PGA Championship. We uh, addressed that in the golf report right off the top of the show. Brooke Henderson to get her third major plus 4,000. Yeah. It all begins tomorrow. She's down the queue, folks. Is she, she ever, Blake? Like She needs honestly, to uh, add some shine back to her name a little bit. For 
a player of that talent ability and with two majors under, she's the 18th choice at this tournament. Yeah. Jeff and I were talking on the golf course Friday at Northlands with uh, our friend Doug Lum about when you look at Brooks' scorecards, for someone who has length on that tour, she just doesn't capitalize near enough on the par fives as she should. And, you know, putting can be an issue there with Brooke. At this stage of the game, I thought we would be talking about a player who is higher up the world rankings with more hardware in her trophy case. But there are and sort of a bigger deal in Canadian sport. It's a fickle game, though, right now, the women's game. Like, because just ahead of her are Lydia Ko and Daniel yeah. Kang. Just behind her is Lexi Thompson. These, well, these used to be big names. And, of course, Michelle Wee was billed as the next coming and won one tournament or one major, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, follow us and rank wide wherever you get your podcasts. And please do support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.